0: Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of Ecommerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today, we're here with Claire from Bon Maxi. Claire is designer and CEO of organization and accessories business, Bon Maxi, based in Brisbane. A believer in reducing unnecessary stress, she aims to solve daily annoyances with good looking solutions, cleverly designed to make getting more organized Effortless. When she's not designing unique jewellery organisers, feature-packed handbags and wallets, or organisation hacks, Claire, with husband and CFO Joe, cares for their son Max, who has complex additional needs. Grown from a small handmade business in 2015 to a thriving boutique brand with a loyal following of Bonnie's, Claire has a vision to eliminate our daily messes and stresses well into the future. In today's episode, she shares the challenges and lessons of product development, the power of launches and building a community, and the growth that comes from outsourcing. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 29. Today we're here with Claire from Bon Maxi. Hello. Hi, it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm a big fan of yours. I have a number of your products, so I'm very excited to have you on the show. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on Bond Maxi and how you started?
1: Of course. Bon Maxi has evolved over the past seven years. Right now, we are very handy accessories that solve your daily annoyances. So it's anything that I get annoyed about during the day I've tried to solve. And there's so many more on my list, but they involve handbags, earring holders, wallets, now coat hangers, which is an interesting addition, But the business started back in 2015 when I was on maternity leave and I had a young son. I really didn't know what I was meant to be doing while he was sleeping and I went back to painting portraits which I'd done for years and years prior. And I started doing baby kind of cartoony portraits because they were quicker and easier to do than um, detailed acrylic ones. And I was really looking for not quite a mother's group but a community. And back in the day, Facebook groups weren't a thing. Mothers groups were really hard to find unless you were kind of placed in one by a hospital. So I was yearning for some kind of a connection that wasn't necessarily around mothers and babies, but just somewhere that I could turn during the day. So I hopped onto Instagram and I realised that there was a bunch of people on there who had actually started these businesses and they were creative businesses, handmade services. And I thought, oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know we could do that. So I started my business. And it grew, not quite from the portraits, it kind of grew rapidly from there, but I filled my day really quickly because portraits take time and I was capped with how much I could do. And so I started doing some nursery decor as well that was already made. So it was my paintings on wooden hangers and prints. And then I started to think, there's tons of businesses who are like baby businesses doing things. And I really am not sure that I'm solving a problem apart from making somebody's wall look better. So I started looking for a problem in my life that I might be able to to solve. I have a marketing background myself. So I knew that that's how all good businesses start. And I just kept my eyes open for something. And then one day when I was trying to rush out the door, my husband was waiting for me and I was rummaging through my five bowls of earrings that I had. I thought, surely there's a better way. And it struck me at that point. And yeah, earring holders were born out of that moment. So I spent a bit of time looking around to see what might be available and all I could find were chicken wire and wood earring holders that were made probably by a guy that really didn't have much function they really didn't look overly nice on the dresser and the other option was like a clear acrylic and I thought, no, I'm not going let to let go of my painting kind of element yet. So I started hand drilling my earring holders, hand cut them from wood and then painted these beautiful intricate designs on them that took me forever. And I posted one on Instagram and out of the blue, I realised that there was this huge earring community on Instagram and they just popped up on my feed and they're like, oh my gosh, we need one of these. So it really grew from there. Since then, so that was like early 2016, we grew into machine cut wood, not hand drilling, because their house is starting to fill up with sawdust. I <laughs> um, and we'd find little bits of holders everywhere. And I realized that I had to really hone in what I was doing to become uh, scalable. So I narrowed down my designs to something quite basic rather than the intricate detailed ones I was doing. And I started to introduce all the different types of earring holders that people were requesting, ones for their wall ones for the dresses, smallest, like smaller ones, bigger ones, something for necklaces, all of that. Um, and then moved on to manufacturing. So that's been a huge shift in the business. But now we have all of these different items that do aim to solve those annoying things that happen throughout our days. And I still look back and go, I don't even know. I had no clue that it was going to be like this. But I'm so incredibly grateful for Instagram, for one. And the earring community, the handmade earring community, because that really boosted and kick-started the business. Yeah, amazing. I mean, the earring holder is amazing. I get far more
0: use out of my earrings now than ever before because they were just in a bowl. And now I have lots of really big, crazy earrings. And it's, it's amazing. And it's perfect. And it's not that like some of them you have to like fiddly and put them in. Yours is just amazing. So very nicely done. Thank you for making life easier. I appreciate it. <laughs> what was the journey like, well, I want to say like mentally, but like between going from like hand-making product to like where you are now, where you're obviously getting things manufactured and I don't know where your products are made, but that's a, a very different sort of business to making things at
1: home. Yeah. It took a lot for me to let go from, let go of the painting element of it. Cause I thought I'm an artist. That's why I'm doing this business. And so, first of all, just letting go of the baby portraits was a huge step. And then moving to, so we started printing onto wood. That was quite a new practice. Not many people did it around. So trying to test, ensure that the pigment was as bright as I wanted it to be. White is especially hard. And trying to find people who are really niggly about quality, like I was. And I think that's the benefit with a handmade item. You start at the beginning and you finish at the end and you see it right all the way through the process. Whereas when you're manufacturing something, you send off an idea and then you don't see it until, you know, you get a sample, but the sample might not then translate to to a bulk production. So you, let, you have to let go of that control. And for me, I, am, I love to have control. I love to be a part of absolutely everything. I want to know all of the processes. And so handing that over to somebody who, you know, you haven't necessarily even met is a huge step. I think the benefit though of starting off in handmade and then moving to production was that I knew how things could be made. And I had a really in-depth knowledge of every hole size, sounds really awful, that might be good for every type of earring. And so I could just walk straight in and I didn't have to have those extra samples made because I'm like, I know this needs to be this. Sure, we have to play with materials, but I know how to do a design on a program for a laser cutter therefore when we're looking at metal it's relatively similar so that was great having that base knowledge handbags and leather goods on the other hand no clue whatsoever so that's been a huge learning curve about different material lining sewing techniques and metals and zip structures and all of that so it's a huge process but because I like learning about it all it's been really exciting to go from there Yeah, amazing. Uh, Do you have any tips
0: or recommendations for people when they are sort of looking for that manufacturer that they
1: can trust? I think it does take a couple of goes or a lot of trials. So every manufacturer will produce a sample either for free, they might have an existing product that you can then modify, or you might want to start from scratch, which is what we've done for our products. Because they have that knowledge, they can kind of start you off at a certain point point. But, you know, once you start to get that understanding of how something's made, it's good to test maybe three or four different factories because there might be small ones, large ones, all of them have different types of machinery or techniques to do things or recommendations or they might work with different types of businesses or different quality requirements. And so having comparisons right next to each other of an existing product or your design, you're able to compare each one and then determine you know it might be a mix of communication styles obviously it's a different language so you have to consider whether your messaging is coming across or whether you can be clear and that's being picked up the process and the cost and yeah the overall look and feel of the product if it actually feels exactly what you want and the cost matches up to where you want to be then that's kind of how it goes but google's always the best resource I've spent hours just trawling through available factories that might, you know, do things even just to spark ideas. I just think it's a great way of going, oh, that's actually manufacturable, if that's a word. It is now. And that might be something that you know you can modify or it might just spark a different idea. So I think just spending that time doing a bit of groundwork to see who can do what, and then just talking to people. There's no cost in in talking. So I think that's a great way to start.
0: Yeah, amazing. So obviously. Most of your products, if not all, come from that solving a problem. Can you tell us a little bit about that product development side, not so much the manufacturing side, but how you come up with those ideas, that little that process, those sorts of things, and if there's any kind of lessons you've learned along the way in that process, you know, without giving away the trade secrets?
1: Yeah. <laughs> product development wise, it has always come from, I think now my eyes are just a little bit more open to opportunity. So I might be going about my day and go, oh, this item's really frustrating. The other day, and this is something I keep thinking I'm going to do, I was baking a cake and I had to do three quarters of a cup. And so I had to do one, two, three literal quarters. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a three quarter cup and a two cup cup? So elements like that, I just go, I'm just going to take note of that. And maybe down the track, I'll develop that into a product. So it stems from either needing it in that moment And I just rush to a sketch pad and I go, right, what is my wish list? Absolutely everything that I must have, absolutely everything I would absolutely want to have. And then I have a look at what items are out there. So not necessarily competition, but is there anybody else that's dedicated to solving that issue and how can I differentiate from that or is that already done and dusted? So I really try to do things that nobody else is doing because I know that there are other people out there who have the same, you know, problems that I do. Yeah. So once I kind of write that list down, I do a bit of a sketch and just try and work out whether it's viable. If it's not, I always say there's always a way. So I push and push and push. And that's why product development often takes 6 to 12 months, 18 months, because it might need to have a sample to see whether an extra pocket's doable or the size needs to be high so it can fit a phone in or this it might not be long enough or you know the coat hangers were another new thing that we just had to start from scratch so it takes a lot of time but once you've got that initial sketch you've got your manufacturer at least to get a sample and you have that sample in hand that's when you can start to make modifications and you either nail it first go which is super rare or you take you know three to four five six samples and refine and refine and refine until you've got something that you're super happy with.
0: Yeah I love that
1: I think it's good for people to hear that it does take time
0: I think sometimes people get the idea that you've just come up with another product and it's amazing and they don't know how long it takes for that to happen in the first place so it's kind of good for other people to hear it's not an instant process it takes time
1: yeah absolutely and I think working say with leather goods I now understand a lot more than I did when I first started so producing a sample doesn't take as long because I can quickly work with my manufacturer who knows what I mean when I say can we just do it like this one or you know we've done that before can we just repeat that in this design so that's not so much of an issue my metal earring holder the easy drop one took it was about 18 months from initial sketch to my final sample and then production took about six weeks but that was because I just couldn't nail exactly what I wanted it to be it was something that hadn't been produced anywhere before and I couldn't refer to anything to go, well, how did they solve that problem, you know, of having it stand up on a a desk or something like that? So that was really frustrating, but I knew that if I nailed it, that would be something that had not been seen before and had not been done before. And that was really important that we were able to stand out amongst everything else. Yeah, amazing.
0: So we love finding out how businesses have grown and given your background, can you share some of the marketing strategies used to get your first customers? Not so much when you were doing the portraits, but when you did sort of launch into some more of these products that
1: are more Born Maxi now. I think trying to find a complementary group of people is really important. It's not always doable right from the get-go, but I think I mentioned the earring community. Obviously, earrings, earring holders go so well together and they don't really work you know well my product doesn't work out without the other i started just chatting to people i think you know networking is such a gross word and so many people just shy away from it thinking oh i don't want to seem pushy i don't want to come across as salesy or people have you know other things to worry about but when it comes to two businesses talking to each other and you know that there is a really good connection with more mutual connection with products, it's so easy to go, hey, I think I can help you. Can you help me? Rather than, hey, you can help me. Can you help me? So that really is where our network kind of grew and how our customer base was able to be extended. Every earring maker that, that I spoke to, you know, I may have sent them an earring holder or I said, can we do a competition together? Both followers were able to be combined and instantly you've got a new audience.
0: Yeah, amazing. What are some of your favourite marketing tactics that you use now, now that the business has kind of grown to the level it has?
1: One of my favourite things to do, and I know that I annoy so many people doing it, is my teaser campaigns. I start when I've got a sample and often when I can't think of what to post, which is often, I take a picture of something very close up or just an element of it and that starts the process (laughs) ahead of a product launch. And I know that I annoy so many people, but it is so effective because people start getting curious. The interaction increases because they start doing guesses about what it might be. And then when we get close to the item arriving or it's arrived in our warehouse, that's when the full campaigning of the new product reveal happens. Product explainers, I think, have been really key because I think a lot of people just take, you know, that's a bag. What do you do? But I love to go through the whole process of why. It's the features and benefits, you know, argument, not even argument, but features and benefits. What is it about this product that will help you? And actually speaking to camera and showing people that I found just people get super excited ahead of launch. So then when launch day comes, naturally, people who are eager to buy will buy on the day.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'm one of those people that get sucked into (laughs) yours because I'm like, what color is it? when you did the, I don't know what color it was that came out, but it's the mini one that I've got. And it's like, it's coming in a new color. And I'm like, what is it? I need to know. And then you're right. Everyone watches all of your stories because they're waiting for you to tell us what the color is. It's very nicely done. (laughs) Genius (laughs) marketing. Um, I know that you do a lot of launches and I know you just sort of touched on it, but is there a, a particular strategy around that? How do you sort of, manage how many products you're going to have in the launch so that you don't sell out too quickly, but then you don't sell out, you don't not sell out. Can you just talk us through a little bit of that launch process?
1: With a a new product, for example, I have to meet certain minimums if I'm doing custom colors, which is scary because you have to invest in a particular product or a particular color that you have no knowledge of whether it's going to sell or not.
0: Just more about the the strategy around the launches in yeah. how that gets people in and then whether like organising stock and things, how you manage that process.
1: So, yeah, I have to meet minimum quantities per colour and per product design too. So that always dictates how many that we start off with. Unfortunately, I have absolutely no idea about what we'll sell and how quickly it will sell. Sometimes we've done product launches before and we've had the stock for, you know, three months. And that's great because we can view how long it takes to kind of trickle through the stock. But at the same time, when we have something that sells out, it is an instant confirmation to me that that's actually going to be a really good seller and we should increase our quantity for next time. In terms of a product launch, we have a bit of a suite of elements that we not repurpose, but we kind of use that template and remake for each item. And that re- works really well. Like we've got, a, say, three EDMs. We've got, you know, a number of Instagram stories. I always do the product explainers in a condensed version because my video is often a 10, 15 minutes long and I know not everybody wants to hear me talk about it. So we have graphic versions of it. You know, I try to do stuff on TikTok now, Pinterest. It's just blanketing across the platforms and just going through the various ways that people like to consume content, either in long form or short form. And then, yeah, just blast it in the the week in the lead up to the product launch and hope for the best. Amazing, And
0: I love seeing how, especially on Instagram, because that's where I follow you mostly, but your TikToks do come up now and then, where you're asking for customer feedback around colours and things. How
1: big a part in your decision-making process does that play and has it ever failed you? (laughs) I'm just thinking about when it could have failed me. Did
0: anyone ever, like, win well, a poll and they wanted one colour and then you made the colour and then no one bought that colour and they wanted the other
1: colour? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, for a recent example, the um, the neon pink, one of our crossbody bags, late last year, I was like, oh, you know, I do love for myself a bit of fluoro. I'm not sure if anybody else does, but I'm actually going to show a sample product on screen. And that's not something I've ever done before, but I was so uncertain that it would sell because it is so obnoxiously bright. And so I showed the product and I did do a poll and I said, like, truthfully, don't just say, oh, yeah, because most people would just naturally poll because it's there, even if their heart's not in it. So I really wanted people to be absolutely truthful, whether they loved it or would consider buying it and whether they didn't and luckily I was overwhelmed with a yes because I thought okay great we're just going to go ahead with it. I have had um, you know product development wise I put different colour combinations up and I have something that's coming out not too far away that I'm not certain that because of the context of the product whether or not it's going to translate to what people voted for. So I don't have a massive failure to share but I will let you know. That's a good thing. Not having a massive failure is a good thing. (laughs)
0: It's what we like. I was just curious because you see some brands that are very much customer feedback. Do you want this color? Do you want this color? Do you want this feature? Do you want that feature? And I suppose I was curious how much you take note of that, whether you'd be like, oh, I want the neon pink. They kind of were a bit uncertain. I'm going to make the neon pink anyway.
1: Or if you kind of take them at their word and then go from there. But generally, yeah, generally I think I'm three quarters decision already made i get a feeling like a bit of a gut feeling about what might look nice in the range or we haven't done like a warm color for a while let's do that let's see what's kind of out and about especially in the fashion arena because obviously there's trends that go with that weirdly i feel like i've been ahead of the pantone color of the year which is kind of cool i feel like i've predicted it for the last couple of years but that doesn't necessarily translate pattern certainly people say that they love leopard print but at the end of the day they just like plain colors weirdly so that's probably been something that like I've been confident that it would be good in the range but it doesn't turn into as good a seller as black because black will always trump It's well. I mean
0: I bought the black even though I have, now I'm very excited about the cobalt but <laughs> the black is it just it goes with everything absolutely So no, <laughs> I love it Is there anything you wish you'd done or known in the early days of your
1: business that would have made growing now easier? Yeah, absolutely. Starting off as a handmade business, I don't think there was any other way that I could have done it because I never thought that I'd be in business. So that's not really something that I could change. And I really feel like having that the groundwork of understanding how everything works um, before going into manufacturing really did help. We... Uh, when we got busy, we were packing orders up until one o'clock in the morning. And I wrote to my husband into it. So he was doing a full-time job, client facing, and would have to come home and pack orders with me. And then our son would often wake up at 3am. So we weren't getting very much sleep. We went to that point where, I mean, in business, you always get to that, that panic point where you go, something has to change, but it's probably a good two or three months away because you need to work out what that change might be. We got to that point where we were just not sleeping, we felt pretty broken and then had to look after a a small child. And at that point, an angel warehouse person who was dealing in small to medium female-run businesses um, popped out of nowhere saying, I'm starting a warehouse. And so that was something that we were able to offload on Christmas Eve one year. And that was the biggest, most amazing feeling in the world. So I think that's probably something that I would look to do right at the beginning if I was starting a business again would be to outsource the bits that really take up the time but doesn't actually progress your business. I also think that things like logo production, just graphics in general, all of that stuff doesn't need to be done by you. But I think back in 2015 era when people were starting businesses, everything looked really shoddy to start off with. Our photos were bad. They were often taken at nighttime. Nobody owned a tripod. Nobody used, well, they all used the Instagram filters. And it was just a like everyone was really building slowly. Whereas now, when you see businesses launch, they've already got a branding suite. They've got a designer who's done a beautiful website. Packaging is on point. It's not like a business card slotted into a, a cello bag. Yep, professional so photos, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Absolutely. Professional photos is a big one. Knowing how powerful imagery is now, I definitely would have invested more in photos. But at the same time, we're now doing full circle again where people are starting to criticise Instagram that we're too perfect and it's not raw enough. And now we're turning towards video. So whether or not imagery in general is going to be relevant. Yeah. And then you've got things like TikTok, which is
0: really favouring the organic don't do your hair, don't do your makeup, show the reality of it. Like we're, we're heading back into that space, which I think is really exciting for people starting because oh, yeah, absolutely. you don't have to have the the fully polished suite. You can just start on TikTok.
1: <laughs> That's it. And I think certainly the last couple of years people are just tired and they're tired of seeing people who are completely done up every day in a beautiful office that is clean <laughs> and, having that video content where you see somebody's face that seems to be the most like the connection human connection is what's selling things now it's not necessarily the product it's how people feel about a business owner or you know their their values or their ethos so yeah it is changing yeah it's it's an interesting
0: landscape I am excited to see what happens in the next 12 months because I think we're going to get I mean it's already happening but you've got the early days of Instagram, there was lots of businesses growing really quickly because organic reach was amazing and mm. you didn't have to have super polished content. And I think the same thing's happening with TikTok, which is very exciting.
1: It is um, very exciting.
0: Is there anything you think that you can share that we haven't covered? We've covered a lot. Yeah, we have covered a lot. I think letting go is a huge thing. <laughs> I think letting Just go is sort of really like, important. Yeah. Because so many people get stuck in doing everything themselves thinking they have to look after everything, being really controlling about everything, which as a perfectionist, I understand, but mm. it's very hard to scale a business. And I'm of the belief, and I think you are too, that we make businesses so that we can have lives and so that we can spend time with family. And yeah. like we can we can do things that are not work 15 hour days and you can't do that yeah. unless you get help
1: that's very true. But I think a lot of business owners manage to fill all of those hours again anyway with uh, new business ideas too. That's fine. Yeah, you can do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we'll just get into the last couple of questions we ask everybody. Do you have any strategies or habits you follow each day to help you stay on track?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, kind of. I take my time now in the morning, especially during school time. School holidays is a complete crazy mess so that's not something we'll discuss now but in the morning when my son goes off to school I always used to feel super guilty that I wasn't online at nine o'clock every morning and I thought hang on I'm the boss here why am I not kind of working in towards how my uh, brain actually works and for me my brain switches on right about now which is just after lunch and I can keep going all through the night if I could but the morning is really not a great spot for me my brain doesn't switch on and i I just spend too much time doing one thing. So I've now learnt to take my time in the morning. I exercise in the morning. I watch Netflix while I exercise and I take a little bit of time just to wake up essentially and I've stopped feeling guilty about that. And then when I log on, which is around about 10 or 10.30 depending, I try not to jump straight into emails But I have a bit of a set list that is like my must do's, which is respond to any customer inquiries that have been passed on by Kirsty, our customer service person. I have like a check sales. Do we need to swap banners? All of the necessities. And I think that kind of starts me off at least having ticked things. Whereas when you jump straight into your inbox, you end up drowning. You don't do the things that were on your list and you end up feeling super overwhelmed already. So yeah, that's kind of how I start. But every day is different. I love that. I like it
0: because it's a routine without routine. Like it's a a set thing that you do, but it's flexible. And I love that because my brain's the same.
1: (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite business book? Audio book. I either fall asleep at nighttime when I try and read because my eyes just are too heavy and yet I can scroll my phone weirdly. So I don't read anymore, but I listen to, to podcasts and audiobooks while I'm doing stuff. My favourite business book that I've read recently is Shoe Dog, which is The Story of Nike. Yes. Really interesting. And it's read by the dude who wrote it. I didn't realise how many big problems that every business must have because I've had my fair share you know, of manufacturing issues or website issues or whatever but this is like grand grand scale it made me feel so much better about my business but you can't really escape it and I thought that was just a really good reality check
0: yeah I, I love when people share the the hard stuff because it's life is hard stuff like yeah absolutely. let alone business being hard stuff but there is always hard yeah. stuff and I think sometimes the business world gets a little too
1: glamorized and it's nice it to does. be like actually it's hard sometimes yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially multinational corporations too. You think everything's just well-oiled, but they just consistently have, you know, competition trying to bring them down and, you know, on large scales or suing them. Yeah, I don't think that ever goes away, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I'm good. I <laughs> no, I don't want to be Nike. <laughs> Favourite podcast, business or personal? One of the ones I like to just wind down to is after work drinks. Aussie and a New Zealander girl, I think they're both journalists, but they just talk like you're talking over a cocktail. They're very well educated. So they have quite interesting takes on, you know, politics, whatever. And then they also have the real frivolous popular culture stuff. That's the one. Um, Yeah. So I find it's just a really nice way to, you know, while I'm cleaning or something and not be fully in business because I have a habit of always just thinking about my business when I'm not working in it and that gets really draining. So putting a podcast on while you're doing other stuff kind of helps, helps the brain switch off a little bit,
0: yeah. I love that.
1: And tell us about how people can find you. You can find me on Instagram, which is probably where I'm the most active, at bon Maxi. Um, TikTok, same name, Pinterest, same name, Facebook, same name, Fantastic. and then the website is <laughs> bondmaxi.com.au. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much
0: for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the 29th episode of the Bright Minds of Ecommerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 29. The link will also be in the episode description.